Hi, guys. How you doing? <laughs> Hi, my name's Chael, and I attend church here. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, so uh, it has been a while since I've had a chance to, to share. Uh, and so I'm really excited for kind of jumping into a new series here. I think God's going to do some really good stuff with this uh, with us in the next few weeks. And so, so I'm super pumped about it. Would you... We're not going to go there right away, but if you could, you want to go ahead and get ready to go to Luke chapter 16. Uh, you can go ahead, and that is the Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third book of the New Testament, so it's going to be towards the back half of your Bible, if you're not sure where it's at. It's the third, it's one of the Gospels that tells the stories of the kinds of things that Jesus taught and, uh, about. So we're going to anchor there, but I got a long setup, so just put like a, you know, I don't know, finger, a pin or something right there, hold your place, okay? And then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. So Father, uh, I am so, so, so thankful for the people in this room and the things that you're doing among us. Uh, and I pray that tonight, whatever that comes out of my mouth, Lord, would be um, from, from your heart, Lord, and would clearly communicate the things that are on your mind. And if it's not from you, God, I pray that you'll deafen the ears in the room and don't let it stick. But if it's from you, God, let it pierce hearts, Lord, and let it awaken us to uh, living a flourishing life that you called us to live. Uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start out with a little bit of visual cue here. Uh, can we go ahead with the slides of the, of the trees? There we go. Look at this big, beautiful tree. Anyone know? I don't know. What kind of tree is this? Anyone know? A magnolia? A cherry? You could say it. I would, I would be like, yes, sure. That's exactly what it is. But let's look at the beautiful flowers on this tree. Let's go to the next slide. Well, you skipped one. We, we, we can't look over our last tree. What was that one? There we go. What is that one? A desert tree. That's the official name. It's a class, the genius uh, of a, is that a Joshua tree? Uh, yeah. Uh, that's a Joshua tree growing in the middle. Like, does it look like a tree should be growing there? It's like a very random place for a tree to be growing. Okay, go to the next one. Palm tree. Beautiful. Oh, man, babe, let's go back on vacation. Oh, we, we celebrated our 20th anniversary, and it looked like that. It was so awesome. We sat underneath the tree like that's awesome. Beautiful. Note the setting. Go to the next one. Beautiful hillside. Can't you just hear, like, uh, that's not corn, but it makes me think of the, I almost said Children of the Corn. That's a different movie. Um, what's the baseball movie? Field of Dreams. Uh, so it makes me think of Field of Dreams. Uh, not Children of the Corn. That's a, that's a different one. But look at that beautiful tree just sitting there. Okay, go to the next one. Oh, beautiful pine tree. Look at that cool picture, too. And the reflection of the water, somewhere more cold. I would love this. My wife would hate this. Actually, go to the next one. I think we've got a similar one. Uh, we got one more, maybe. Beautiful pine tree. Nope, that's it. That's all we got. Um, imagine if it was covered in snow. Use your imagination. That same exact picture covered in snow. Now, let me ask you a question about each one of these pictures. Which one of these trees is flourishing or thriving? Trick question. All of them, right? Every single one, completely different environment, planted somewhere totally different, and each one is flourishing in its own way. As a matter of fact, if you tried to transplant some of those trees into another climate, like you tried to move that pine tree that grows in colder climates onto the beach, might not work so well. That palm tree, you try to move it into that cold, colder climate, probably not going to work so well. Like these things are thriving or flourishing in these different kinds of, an, of an environments. And the reason why I'm showing these pictures is because I believe that it's God's heart that we live a flourishing life. That what God wants for you and I is to have a flourishing kind of life, but that flourishing or that thriving looks different for each one of us. Because God's placed us in different contexts and has different things that he's called us to. And so for each one of us, it's going to look different. Now, some of you are like, no, I want the palm tree. Well, you don't get to choose often of times, like, right? Like, we don't often get to choose the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But I believe no matter what circumstances that you're in, God's heart is that you live a flourishing life. And we're going to talk about what that, what that means in just a second. Let me paint a little bit of a picture in Scripture for you. You don't have to turn to these because I'm going to do these rapid fire. I'm not going to unpack 
any kind of the depth of the meaning, I think they'll be pretty clear on the surface what they mean. Go to Psalm 1 uh, here, next slide. Uh, here's what it says. This is the very beginning of the book of poetry that explains, that has just beautiful, beautiful picture of our relationship with God and God's relationship with his people. And this, this little beginning part frames the whole book. It says this, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, uh, the, the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day or night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. These are the opening lines to the book of Psalms about this is what I want for my people. This is what God's heart is for his people, that we would be like trees planted by water that would bear fruit in season, that no matter what was happening, that somehow we would be able to be fruitful. If you want to look at another one, we're not going to read this psalm together, but go and look at Psalm 37. If you're a note taker, Psalm 37 basically fleshes this out a little bit more. But just so you know, I'm not pulling this from one place in the Bible. If we jump forward to uh, some prophets, the prophet Jeremiah, who's speaking kind of to God's people. He's warning them of things that's about to happen, but also warning them, uh, actually giving them an indication of this is what will happen to you if you choose God's way. Here's what he says. This is the prophet Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will not dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water. Seeing a theme here? That sends its roots out by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It le its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You seeing a pattern here? You could look like page after page after scripture. Now, here's what I want you to see. These scriptures do not mean there are no hardships in life. Think about what it's saying. Look, the sun is going to scorch. Bad things are going to happen. There's going to be dry land. But in the middle of all of that, somehow, if you choose to put your trust in the Lord, you will always be able to bear fruit that you're going to be like this tree planted. So, uh, so if we jump fast forward into the New Testament, into the book of Luke, Andrew shared this a couple weeks ago. This comes from this passage. Jesus is telling his disciples who are following him. He's like, hey, look around, observe the ravens and how God takes care of them. Look around and see how there are these flowers of the field and how like they, they just are, are, they're just beautiful on the, all on their own because God's taking care of them. And then and Jesus tells his disciples this, but first, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about all of the things that you typically worry about. Instead, trust in God. Instead, put his kingdom first, and all the stuff you're worried about, God's going to take care of that. So if you didn't see that, go back and watch it later. So it's a different way of saying the same thing. You're going to flourish. Anchor yourself into God, and that's his heart for you, that you will flourish. John chapter 15, it's another one of the Gospels of Jesus. Jesus is talking to his disciples again, and he tells his disciples this amazing statement. He says, it's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Are you seeing a picture here? God's heart for his people to be flourishing. And just so we don't get too far off, the, and anyone thinks that I'm talking about a prosperity gospel where everybody needs to be rich, and we're all going to live in big mansions, because I'm not going there, Here's what the Apostle Paul, one of the followers of Jesus later, writes in this letter called Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. He says, um, for I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. So whether I'm planted on a beach, whether I'm planted in the wilderness in Canada, whether I'm, whether I'm planted in the middle of the, of the desert, it doesn't matter. In all these circumstances, I have learned how to be, I learned the secret to be content. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Awesome verse, right? It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It's God's heart that you would flourish in those circumstances. Okay? So that's, that's what we, we're going we're gonna to talk about a little bit today. What flourishing looks like is different for each person in each setting. 
So what it looks like for me to flourish in my life with God is different than what it looks like for you. The circumstances might be different, but there's some common denominators, and I would say this, the common denominator is faithfulness and fruitfulness. If you want to know what is a flourishing life, a flourishing life is faithfulness and fruitfulness. Faithfulness is simply this. I want to learn how to be a person who hears God's voice like a friend. I want to walk in deep friendship with God, and then when he says to do something, I do it. That's what means, that's all faithfulness is. Being able to hear his voice in my life and be able to do what it is. He says that, that I don't veer to the right or to the left. All those, those scriptures I read in Psalms and then Jeremiah, but I put myself, I anchor in what it is that he's saying. That's what it means to be faithful. And what it means to be fruitful is that what our life produces good for God, for others, and for ourselves. To be fruitful means that our life produces good for God primarily for others and for ourselves, and not just temporary good, good that has eternal value. We're talking about fruit and flourishing that lasts, not just temporary stuff. It's easy to look around. If you're, we're in this beautiful neighborhood, there are all kinds of houses around here, all kinds of awesome cars, and it's fine. It's great. And it's easy to look from the outside and see all these people are flourishing. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're flourishing. They might be, but they also could be dead spiritually inside. There could be emotional turmoil. There could be all kinds of other things happening inside, and you would, you would never know if all you do is judge by external circumstances. These might be temporary goods, but they're not eternal goods. So the question is, how do we have a flourishing life? What does it look like for us to have a flourishing life? How do we get, do it? Well, I've already kind of tipped my hand a little bit. All these scriptures, they say it from different ways and come at it in different angles, but at the end of the day, it has something to do with knowing God, right? Like, we're not talking about a flourishing life apart from knowing God. We're saying a flourishing life only happens when you know God. When you put God at the center of your life, where God isn't something we add on to our lives to make our life better, but instead is something where we trust our life to him and say, okay, God, do it. Help. It's yours. It's not mine anymore. There are lots of different ways the scripture talks about this. We put Jesus at the center of our lives. We take up our cross and follow him. There's a lot of different ways that we could talk about this, but at the end of the day, what this is kind of all getting at is God can't be like a value-add proposition to your life. Like, oh, I think my life is going pretty good. If I just added a little bit of Jesus, it would be great. That's not how this works. The way it works is, Jesus, you have it all. Seek first your kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. That's hard, to be honest. But it's about trusting and surrendering to him. Many people have tried to have a flourishing life. And on, again, look around on the outside. Uh, it seems like they have it all together, but it's not ultimately the life that God intends. Because spiritual life is the key to a flourishing life. And having that relationship with God. Now, here's the thing, and this is where we're going to go in the series. Just because our spiritual life is the most important, just because we have a responsibility to get to know God doesn't mean that God doesn't care about these different aspects of your life. And actually, what we're going we're gonna to lean into is looking at some different aspects of our life. What does God have to say about what does it look like to flourish in this area? And how does it look like to flourish here? And how does that relate over here? Because look, God puts you on this planet not just to go to heaven when you die, and not just to have a good prayer life. Like that's, I mean, that's fine, but that's not, that's not the only thing that life is about. God puts you on this planet to have relationships with other people, right? Do you remember what God says to Adam in the beginning of, in, in Genesis? It's not good for a human being to be alone. God made us for human relationships with people. God wants you to flourish in human relationships. I've got good news for you today. If you've ever felt like, you know what, I just really struggle at relationships, God's like, I know, and I want to help. Like, I know that. God put us in a physical body. Like, and, and, he, and he gave us the opportunity to actually use our physical body in various different kinds of ways to contribute to the world. And God originally told Adam and Eve, hey, go and fill the earth. I want you to work the land. Like, God gave you a physical body. We are not just brains. Have you ever thought about that? Like, 
you are a physical body and God's given you opportunity to steward that physical body. God's given you a mind to think and to solve problems and to be creative. And God wants you to flourish in that area of your life too. And God's given you financial resources in your life. And he wants you to flourish in that area too. Maybe in a different way than what the world would perceive what flourishing looks like, but he does want you to flourish. So what his heart is, is that we would learn what flourishing looks like in each one of these areas and how they relate to one another. That we should take a look at these areas of our life and say, okay, God, you have given me this. What does it look like for me to be faithful and fruitful in this area of my life? What does it look like for me to flourish here? Everybody okay? Good? Yeah? All right. Promise I'm not preaching heresy. All right? This is, this is God's heart, I think. Now, there are a lot of different ways that we could look at these kind of different areas of life, but I think if we were to break it down and try to say, okay, God, help me think about these different area of, areas of my life, there's a term or a concept that I've learned called the five capitals. And this has been really, really helpful in Jed and I's life and a, a number of others to help me look at my life and say, God, how do I flourish in these different areas of our life? And the idea of the five capitals is this, is that God has given us kind of five main areas of our life, five kind of assets or resources in our life, and God's calling us to steward and take care of those things and to grow those areas. These five areas that God has entrusted us, has invested into us, and he asks us to be faithful and invest it well. That's what, that's what we're going after. Now the word capital, like, uh, simply means... Something which can be invested or managed for a purpose. Capital, the idea of capital is simply I have something that can be invested or can be managed for a purpose. It's an asset that's used to gain something, a resource that belongs to you. So let's just take a side step here for a second. When I say the word financial capital, you all have a picture of, of something that comes to mind for you. You think you know, kind of, you have a sense of what that means. I have some money that I could invest here in order to grow this thing. So someone says, hey, I have this great business opportunity for you. You could come in on this and buy this Airbnb, and we could run this Airbnb, and it's something that would be fun, and we could make money. And you would need to look and say, do I have the financial capital? Do I have the resources available to invest in this so that I can make more money? Okay? We, talk, we often talk about in the leadership world, um, do, do I have relational capital? Everyone heard the word relational capital? That, is, that essentially means like, do we have enough trust between us? Are we close and connected enough that we could take the next step together because we trust one another? There's relational capital built up. There's equity. There's value in our relationship so that we can do things. And we could go through and break these things down. But essentially, you have these five major areas of your life, and it's helpful to think about them through the lens of capital. Five resources, five areas of your life that God wants you to flourish in, uh, and we'll define these later, uh, but, but these are what we know as the five capitals. Let me list them out for you. Spiritual, relational, physical, intellectual, and financial capital. And we're going to look at these five areas over the next five weeks and see what does it look like for us to flourish in these areas. Now, you might be thinking, the word capital is not in the Bible. So this feels weird. Why are we thinking about our life and our spiritual life through this kind of financial lens? Like, this seems a bit odd. But have you ever thought about how often Jesus uses financial metaphors to teach spiritual reality? It's all over the Gospels when you read the Gospels. He does it all the time where he's bringing up these different scenarios to get us to think about our life. Not think primarily in financial terms, but it's something tangible. Look, Jesus is so practical. We like to make Jesus like really mysterious and hard to understand. But when Jesus was talking to his disciples and preaching to the crowds, he made things extremely practical. And so he used pictures and these parables that people could understand. And so what he did was he said, hey... Um, uh, in this one, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 45, Jesus says, you know what? Let me explain what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a treasure that's hidden in the field. And when a person discovered that the treasure was hidden in that field, they went and they sold everything they had so that they could buy that field. 
And then he, he reframes the story. In this, uh, again, he says, you know what? The kingdom of God, it's also like a pearl that's worth a lot of money. And when someone discovered that there was a pearl in the field, they got together all their resources and they purchased that field so that they could have it. Do you see there's financial, kind of this financial picture? Look, the kingdom of God is something worth paying anything you possibly can to have. And, and he's using this financial picture to think about investment. We often think about our Christian walk in terms of sacrifice. I have to give up this, I have to give up this, I have to give up this. It's true that sometimes investments are sacrifices. Sometimes you have to choose to invest here and not here. Does that make sense? Well, so what God is asking us to do is to think about what we're doing is we're making an investment in our spiritual life. We're making an investment in the kingdom of God. Yes, it requires a sacrifice from time to time. Yes, it will require you to count the cost, but the benefit always outweighs whatever the price is that you paid. Every time Jesus encouraged people to count the cost, it's always so that we can realize he is better than whatever it is we're giving up. So if, if you could give up something that you can't, that doesn't have eternal value, to get something that will last forever and ever, you would be foolish to not make that investment, right? And so Jesus over and over again gets us to think about, guys, this is a really simple equation. You should make an investment here. Trish just talked about that with the, with the retreat. Like every time I choose to make a commitment to go somewhere and to make a financial investment, I feel like God blesses it. Not because God cares about your money in that way, because he cares about your heart. Because where you spend your time, your money, your energy reveals what you value. If you, if you, when you value something, you make sacrifices for it. When you value something, you make investments to get more of it. Does that make sense? Uh, so Jesus gets, does this all the time. Luke chapter 14, Jesus talks about the cost. Count the cost of following me. He's like, hey, I want you to do the math. Before you come and follow me, I want you to recognize what it's going to cost you, but here's what I want you to do. I also want you to realize what you're going to gain. Luke chapter 14, Jesus talks about what does it profit you to, to gain the whole world? Profit is a financial word, isn't it? But then lose your own soul. So he's getting us, he's challenging us to think about what investment are you making? And this should be a kingdom investment that you're making. So Jesus invites us to look at our lives and see what we have and see how we're using the things that he's given us, the resources he's given us in our lives for his glory and for his purpose. This might be a different way of you thinking about this, and I just want to ask you to hang with me for the next few weeks. Because I think if you do, I think you're going to go, oh my gosh, this is like, this took it, it's not anywhere near as complicated as I thought it was going to be. I promise you, if you just hang with us, I think that this will really, really, really help you. Okay, so now Luke chapter 16. We're going to look at this parable, and we're going to see those five capitals in this parable, uh, and we're going, to, we're going to talk about this. Now, my guess is you have never heard anyone preach on this parable. This is one, it's often called the parable of the shrewd manager, and people run like a plague from this, because it's one of those things, Jesus, did you really say that? So we're going we're gonna to dig in because we ain't scared of Scripture, are we? Amen. We're not scared of Scripture, are we? That's right. All right. So Luke chapter 16. Here's what it says. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? My master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that I will, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of his master's debtors, and he asked, he asked first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. So he cuts it in half. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. 
And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with with someone else's property, who will give you property of their own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. Ouch. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is an odd parable. Anyone else feel uncomfortable reading this? Like, um, Jesus, did you really tell me that I should go and buy friends? This doesn't seem like a very Jesus-y thing to do, right? Well, first of all, let's talk a little bit about parables. So parables are just stories that teach a lesson. And Jesus often uses parables to tell these, paint these pictures and, and paint things in extremes. And so parables often use hyperbole to make a point. They, they kind of like overstate what it is in order to make a, make a point. Jesus told his disciples in one of these little mini parables, hey, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Remember that? Okay, we don't take that seriously or we'd be walking around like pirates, right? Like, or if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Like, we don't take that seriously, right? Jesus is over-speaking. He use, he's using a big, huge metaphor for shock value. I, I love that about Jesus, Like, he's not afraid to shock us. He's trying to get us to lean in and, like, use this extreme metaphor to get get attention. And so that's what is happening here. Jesus is using this extreme example uh, to kind of get our attention and get us to think about something different. So let's break it down. All right. So you've got a person who is the owner of this estate, who has all these resources, okay? In the parable, that is supposed to clearly be, that's God. It's his stuff. You could stop right there and just think about your life. And think, everything in my life is ultimately his stuff, not my stuff. Full stop, we could go home right now. And if we got that reality, it would change our lives. All right? So Jesus is making this this clear point. Okay, God owns it all. And he's entrusted this to this manager. So he he said to this manager, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to manage my estate. My, my, My heart and my intention is that you will take everything that I own and that you will invest it well and it will it will bear fruit. We see other parables of Jesus where this is exactly his expectation, that he gives you something, it's intention that you invest it, and that it, it, bears, it bears fruit. And so here's, here's the, the, manager's expecta- the, the owner's expectation, is the manager will use the resources for his purposes, to basically make sure that the owner's estate grows and it flourishes. Remember back to Genesis, we've talked about this many, many times here, at, like that this is God's heart for us. As human beings on earth, it's his heart that he entrusts us with this earth, that we would actually bring about the best of creation. That his heart and intent for us is that we would make things around us flourish and that our life would flourish. But the manager mismanages or wastes whatever the stuff that he's put in charge of. So now he has a problem. What do I do with the mess that I've made? I've squandered the resources, and we don't know, like, was it intentional? It doesn't, doesn't really matter. The bottom line is he's made a mess of it. And so what does the manager do? The manager takes a step back, and he starts to think. Hmm, I wonder how I can get out of this problem. He begins to use his intellectual capital, his knowledge, his ideas, his creativity to solve the problem. How can I, how can I solve this problem? I, what can I possibly do? He has been a person who's been entrusted with this. He's messed up. And so now he's going, okay, how do I solve the problem? How do I use my mind to solve this problem? And then really quickly, he recognizes as he's thinking this through, ah, gosh, there's no way I can work my way out of this problem. He says specifically, like, I'm not strong enough to dig. Like, and I'd be too embarrassed to, to go and beg. So I can't go and dig my way out of this problem. He's thinking about physical capital. I don't have enough time and energy to do that. There's no way I could go and find a new job and repay this person purely with my physical capital. 
He says, I don't have, he doesn't say this explicitly, but it's implied, I don't have enough money to pay it back. That's why he's asking this question. What do I do about this? I don't have any way to pay back the, the, the owner of the house, so what do I do? I don't have financial capital. I don't have anything that I own that I could give to take care of this debt. And so what does he do? He says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that my relationships are secure with people. Because at the end of the day, it's relationships with people that really matter. And they're the only hope that I'm going to have to get out of this thing. And so I'm going to invite the people who owe my master, owe the owner of the land to come in, and I'm going to reduce their debt. Because when I do something nice for them, they're going to remember me, right? And let's just be honest, right? Like, this is the way the world works. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make an investment here so that this person will remember me, and when my master actually kicks me out of this job, then I won't be homeless. I won't be out on the street. They will welcome me into their homes. So what he's doing is trying to grow his relational capital. And relational capital is all about the quantity and quality of our relationships. Okay, I'm going to lose everything else, so what I really need is to grow in my relationships. So he does this, and what does the owner do? The owner commends him. Hey, good job, buddy. High five. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was the owner, I would be like, uh, dude, but where's my money? Right? Like, it doesn't seem quite fair. It's actually shocking that the moral of the story isn't like, oh, that this guy did this really dishonest thing. I would be frustrated that this guy lost all my, all my resources. But Jesus does this kind of stuff all the time in parables where he flips your expectations upside down where what you would expect to be the heart of the, the message isn't exactly what you think. So if you've ever heard the story of the Good Samaritan, everyone has probably heard that name, even if they don't know the story before. The Good Samaritan is a person who was, uh, the Samaritan was a person who was despised and thought of as rejected and kind of the worst of the worst. And the, in the story where this person is beaten up and left for dead, all of the priests and all these other people pass by this person who's been beaten up and robbed and left for dead. And the hero of the story is the Samaritan. Now, everybody listening to that story when Jesus first told it would have been surprised that the Samaritan was the hero. They would have been waiting for the priest and the Levite and all these other people to be the, the person who was the hero of the story. And so that's what Jesus is doing right here. He's kind of doing this. He's, he knows exactly. Jesus was the smartest person that's ever lived. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows he, he, he's expecting all of the people that are listening to this story to go, get this guy for what he deserves. And then Jesus turns this thing completely on his head. What is the deal with that? Well, Jesus is using this as a teachable moment that he values things different in, than the way the world values it. You see, in Jesus' day, just like ours, people would have thought that money was the most important thing. And making the accounts right, getting the, getting the money right is the thing that would be most important. And so what Jesus is doing is turning that expectation upside down. You think that the most important thing is acquiring financial wealth? But I think that relationships are way more important than money. That's what Jesus is saying in the story. The owner of the house commends the manager because for him, even though the person is dishonest, and he's not commending dishonesty. By the way, this isn't Jesus saying you should lie to your boss, okay? That, that would be a, a misinterpretation of this passage. But what Jesus is saying is that relational capital is more important than financial capital. That we should value people over the paper. Does that make sense? Jesus, again, is not commending dishonesty. He's provoking us to think about how we value certain assets that we've been given, how we think about the resources that we have. How are we using those resources? And then what Jesus does is he, he takes us a step further, just so we're not confused, that relationships aren't the most important. He takes it a, ne a next step further at the end of this. He's like, look, this is actually really about God and money. Because you can't have two masters. So while relationships are really important, your relationship with God is the most important. And money falls to the bottom of the list. And so what Jesus is doing is provoking us to think about how do you value certain things? How do you value relationships? How do you value your relationship with God? How do you value finances? How do you value the body that God's given you? How do you value the mind that you've been given? 
And again, this story isn't about buying off friends and like ripping off people. It's about rightly valuing what God values and stewarding on our resources in a way that aligns with his values. And just your, in case you're not clear about that, in verse 10, if we go back to that, it says, whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. And whoever is with dishonest with very little will be dishonest with very much. But if you've, if you've been not trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? He's talking about spiritual things. How you manage the resources that God gives you has implications into your spiritual life, is what he's saying. Not just finances, but, re, but relationships and stuff like that. And so this invites us to think about those resources. You guys okay? Yeah? I'm going, we're going back to the, to the beginning here because I want us to remember that it's important, I think, to God's heart that we flourish in each one of these areas, but we can only do that when we understand what his heart is in these areas. And we can only do that when we understand how to rightly value them. So if you go to certain cultures, uh, I'm not talking about across the world, but if you go to uh, a certain, um, let's just say you go to a gym uh, where, um, where everyone's there, they're pumping iron, they're working, they're working hard at building the best body they can. What do you think is the most important value there? Physical, right? Physical to the, to the, to the, um, to the forgetfulness of almost all the other things. I've, I've gone to the gym before and seen people working out and working out and working out and working out. It's like, do you do anything other than work out in this place? You know what I'm saying? And you, and you know this is true. If you were to go to Wall Street and walk into, you know, the trade floor or whatever, what would be the most important? Financial, right? I mean, you could go through the list and see how different cultures and different groups of people value things differently. We got to have the right value of things and see how they all work together. Now, let's get practical here as I get ready to land this thing. Don't worry too much about definitions of what these terms are. We're going to unpack those over the next few weeks. But the thing that would be important for you to know is that these are the five capitals, and the order that we listed them is the order of importance, and we're going to unpack those in a little bit. For now, we should start thinking about how we view these things and how these are investments that God has made in us and that we are called to reinvest in some way, to repurpose in some way so that we can lead, live a flourishing life with him. Now, a few important caveats and disclaimers. One, this does not mean that God wants everyone to have all of these things in the same measure as your neighbor. So a flourishing life does not mean that everybody has the same stuff, that everyone has the same level of relational equity, that everyone has the same level of financial capital. That's, that's not what this is saying. Remember those trees, right? They're all different. Uh, we, were, we took a trip um, to Tennessee back in the spring, and uh, we were walking into this, this cave. It goes like a mile or two underneath, and it's just this awesome thing. And there's very little life that grows in this cave, with the exception of wherever there's a light lighting the path, there's this green moss that grows just right there. And there's nothing else that can survive life-wise there, as far as a plant is concerned, other, at least that you can see with your eye, other than this green moss growing right there. God has designed that thing to grow in that environment, right? And God has designed you to grow in the environment that he's placed you. And so what we need to do is not ever, 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 ever get into the comparison mode and saying, well, so-and-so has this, so God must want that for me. That's not true. It doesn't mean there aren't things that we can learn from other people. I look around at people all the time saying, you know what? That person's really good at relationships. I think I have something I can learn from them. That doesn't mean I need to be like them in every way. Does that make sense? I see there's people who's like, man, that person really manages their finances well. I have something I can learn from them. Man, that person, when they pray, people get healed. I have something I can learn from them. It doesn't need, 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 mean I need to be like them in every way. A palm tree is meant to thrive in a different environment than a pine tree. Too much sun, too much rain, too much cold, it's not the same. And I think where most of us get into trouble is in that comparison, assuming that what thriving or flourishing looks like over here is the same as what it looks like over here. That's not true. What it means for you to flourish in financial capital is different than it does for your neighbor. Relational capital looks different for introverts versus extroverts. Make sense? There are things that I love as a more extroverted person that an introverted person hates. I'm like, this is the best. They're like, this is the worst. 
You know what I'm saying? So thriving or flourishing for those people looks different. Don't compare to one another. It looks different when you're in your 20s than it does when you're in your 70s. Physical capital does. My body feels things different now than it did five years ago. Right? It's just different. So what thriving looks like for me is different than what it looks like for you. Does that make sense? So we, it doesn't mean that we're all supposed to be the same. It also doesn't mean that we're looking for balance. We're not, we're, not, we're not looking for balance. What the world wants you to do is see these five things and say, we need to have perfect balance in all of these things. That's not how this works. It's reckless abandon after Jesus, and then everything else falls way behind, okay? But that said, we do have a responsibility to grow and to thrive in these different areas. So it's important to understand that financial capital isn't as important as relational capital, but it's not unimportant. What is important is that we seek the kingdom of God first, that we seek that spiritual capital, and that we submit to God's leading in these other areas so that we learn how to be faithful and fruitful, all right? Now, practical stories here to help you kind of wrap your mind around this a little bit. 2014, Charlie was a, a year old, and uh, Jen was a full-time teacher. I was now two or three years into being pastor here at Fusion, and we we're trying to figure out how to make this work. Our, our schedule is absolutely maxed out. We just don't have time to do all the stuff all the time. Uh, Jen comes home feeling tired every day. She leaves the house at 6 a.m., doesn't get home until after 4.30, and now we've got people coming over to the house for a meeting or hosting a new family, uh, like those kinds of stuff, and we were just starting to get really, really thin. It didn't feel like we had a lot of space in our life for relationships, and it didn't feel like we had a lot of space in our life to, like, really, we weren't spiritually thriving. And it felt like something's got to change, but we don't know what to do because the reality is that a bulk of our income and all of our insurance and benefits all came through Jen as a teacher. And so we started kind of looking at it, and right around this time, we learned how to think through the lens of this tool. And so we started looking at our life, and we started going, okay, it feels like what God is asking us to grow primarily is spiritual capital. It feels like God is asking us to grow spiritually. We're feeling a little thin in that, area, in that area. It feels like we need to grow in relational capital because we don't have as much time to invest in relationships as we want. And then for Jen, it's like, I feel like I need to grow in physical capital because I'm just so tired at the end of the day. So what we had to do was look and say, okay, if that's the case, those are the three things that we feel like God is having us, he wants us to grow, then what do we have to invest to grow in those areas? What do we have to give up in order to grow in those areas? And so we began to think about it. It's like, well... It's going to be really, really hard, and I don't know how we're going to do it, but it feels like the financial sacrifice is worth the gain that we're going to have. And so we were like, okay, that it seems scary. We don't know what to do. And then we said, you know what? Like, uh, if we're going to do this, we really need some people in our corner. And so let's lean into the relationships that we have. If you're going to quit your job, let's lean into the relationships that we have and have them praying for us. So we began to lean into our relational capital, the relationships that we had, and said, hey, guys, do you think that this is a crazy idea or is this something that we should do? Like, should Jen quit her job? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Would you pray for us and journey with us? And they were like, yes, and yes, you should do this. And, if, and we'll be here to help you. We'll be a safety net if you need to fall back. Like, we'll be okay. And so we lean into that relational capital. And then I began to pray and kind of like seek God. And then I began to think, well, what do I have that I could, I could give away maybe to earn a little bit more income? And I found an opportunity to do coaching and, re, and um, resourcing with other pastors. So, so for the last, since 2014, I've been coaching pastors outside of the church all over the country. I've had this amazing opportunity. And, and it just kind of came because it's like we sat down, we prayed, and we thought about it. We invested financial capital by saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to stop this work for Jen. We're going to take on a little bit more. I use the intellectual capital that I have in order to grow physically, relationally, and spiritually. And like we have used this over time throughout the last few years to be one of the key ways we make decisions as a family. What is God asking us to grow in our family? What is he asking us to grow? Is he asking us to grow spiritually? Is he asking us to grow relationally? Is he asking us to grow physically? What is it that God is asking us to grow? And what do we have in our possession right now that we could invest and give up with? And chances are, if you've ever come and sought counsel for a big decision that you've made in your life, we've talked through this at some point in time. 
Because it's one of the key ways that we can think about what do we do with our life. Because so many people are like, hey, I have this opportunity ahead of me, and I feel like I could do this. I feel like I could go and do this. And so, but why move forward without that opportunity until you understand why God would ask you to say yes? If you don't know what it is that God's asking you to value at a given time, then it's kind of a foolish thing just to go head first into something. But if you know, okay, I feel like as we lean into the season, I feel like God is asking me to grow this area of my life, then it's helpful then to go, okay, what do I have that I could invest? So if I was to ask you right now, which of the capitals that I mentioned do you feel like you are pursuing the most right now? Which one of these capitals do you feel like you're growing? You feel like you're, I, I know that this is what I've been pressing into. Which of these capitals, if you were to look at them, say, I feel like I'm flourishing in this area. I can feel like I know this is, this is really strong for me right now. Which one of these capitals seem to be the most challenging? I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I feel like it, it's, I, I keep hitting the wall here. Which one of these capitals do you know right now? You say, I feel like God is really asking me to be more faithful and fruitful in this particular area. If you could answer those questions, you could make some major life decisions with a lot more confidence. Do you see? You see, I feel like a lot of times what happens is we come to this, 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 this place in our life where we've got to make this decision. We're like, I don't know what to do. It reminds me of my kids when they go to the arcade and they win all the tickets. You know what I'm talking about? You play ski ball and you get all the tickets. And you have all these tickets and you've not thought at all like when you go up to the counter and buy the trinkets with your tickets about what it is you're going to do. And it's like a crisis. Have you ever experienced this? Like you come, you're like, oh my gosh, there are so many trinkets and I have all these tickets. What do I do? And then they ask you to like, okay, well, you can spend 30 tickets here and 10 tickets here and 10 tickets here. Well, if you like, if you just took a little bit of time before you, before you went to go actually decide, okay, I want those trinkets, it would be so incredibly helpful. But there are always kids melting down at the counter. Have you ever noticed this? There's always some kid that's just like, and it's like, you're about to get a toy. Why are you crying? You know? And I feel like with God, it's like, no, I have a really good thing for you. Why are you crying? Like, this is going to be really good. Like, I know it feels really hard right now, but I've got something really good for you. If you just take the time and think about this issue the way I'm thinking about it, then you would see what this is happening. You would see what I'm trying to do here. You would see how I'm trying to grow your resources over here, but you're focused over here, right? And this is the upside down way of the kingdom where we forsake everything to follow him. It doesn't make sense. This is the upside down way of the kingdom where the world says what's the most important thing is making money where, where we say, no, actually people are way more important than paper. Like we know this. Where we, where we look at our lives and say, am I living my life in such a way that I actually have time and energy to invest in the relationships that God's given me? Am I, am I growing my mind to think like Jesus thinks? Am I, am, I, am I learning the word of God so that I can see how the world operates? Like, these are areas of our life that we have a responsibility to steward, and if we will do them well, we will have a flourishing life. And I just don't think that we need to live life accidentally anymore. I actually think that we can live life with intention by thinking about these five capitals. So I want to ask you before we go, what's standing out to you? What are you thinking about? Do you right away, right now, know, like, I think this is it. John, you can come on up. I, I think this is it. Like, I know, I like, this is the area God's calling me. Sometimes our heart wants something, but we're not willing to invest. We're not willing to, to make the right investments to go after what our heart wants. You guys make an investment every Sunday night to be here, to worship with people because there's something in this that you feel like God is drawing you. But it's a, it's a sacrifice, right? You could be sitting at home. You could be somewhere else. But you're making a choice to invest your time here because you believe that God has something for you. 
I think most of us go through life and we don't really think about what it is that God values and we don't think about what it is that we value. And we just make decisions based off of how we feel in the moment. And that is a terrible way to live your life. It's a terrible way to live your life. It's so much better to understand how God sees your life and align your values with his and then make those choices based off of what he values. And so we're just going to unpack that over the next few weeks. What does it look like to grow in each one of these areas? What does it look like to flourish? Let's take some of the mystery out of it and like just, just kind of like try to lean in for God and God's heart. And my guess is that each one of you are going to come out of the next five weeks going, I feel really clear that God is asking me to grow here. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray that my friends tonight will hear clearly what you're tapping on the door of their heart about. Even now, Lord, would you draw our minds and our attention to things from your word. Remind us, God, of things that you've said. God, would you begin to put a passion in our heart for pursuing the things that are in your heart, God? I'm telling you right now, there are people in this room that do not believe that God wants your life to flourish. And I am telling you, it is a lie from the pit of hell. I am not saying that you're supposed to be the richest person on the planet, but I am saying you can be planted in desert and bear fruit. So I pray in the name of Jesus that you would break off anything in us, Lord, that would, set off, that would, uh, help, that would cause us to set the bar lower than you set it. In Jesus' name. What if God is more generous than you think? What if he is more kind than you give him credit for? God, would you, would you show your kindness and your mercy and your extravagant love? Your word says, God, that you can do anything that, above and beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine. So God, blow our expectations out of the water, God. God, I ask for you, God, to, to begin to even now set visions in people's heart for what it is that they mean they should value. Set us in, with an intentional heart, God. Give us, give us a race to run, Lord. Lord, and don't let us be tossed around like the winds and the waves, Lord, like the world. Don't let us chase after the things that the world chase after, God, but let us chase after things that have eternal value. Lord, and let us take the resources that we have and invest them in ways that will bear eternal fruit, Lord. God, that's your heart, God. And so I pray, Lord, that you just give us an understanding mind. Give us wisdom, Lord, from your, from your spirit, Lord. Ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. So I said this last week, and we're going to do this for the next few weeks. If you feel like there's anything that you feel like God's just like working in your heart and you want to pray for, um, we would just love for you to come and occupy this place and just spend a couple minutes in prayer. Uh, no one needs to pray with you, but if you want someone to pray with you, there will be a couple up here to pray with you. Uh, again, we do this because sometimes a physical response in the moment is the right thing that helps to kind of just like help our head and our heart connect with what God is actually doing. And so if you feel like God's dealing with you about something, speaking with you about something, we would love to pray with you. If there's something else you need prayer for, it doesn't have anything to do with that talk, we'd just love to pray for you about that as well. So please come forward. Otherwise, have a great week, and we'll see you next week. God bless.